You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So today, if you will please stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's Word. We are in John chapter 6, and I'm going to pick up kind of in the last half, the last, I don't know, uh, two-thirds of the book. We're going to just look at, or the chapter, we're going to look at verses 41 through 51. I want to read this to you. I feel like it encapsulates much of what the main message is that Jesus is trying to get across on this day, but also for us today. So notice this. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. Lord, you came to this earth and you taught us great things. But as those last words of that last verse remind us, you came to give yourself, your flesh, for our sins. And because of that great sacrifice, Lord, every person in this room can be drawn unto you, O Heavenly Father. And so, God, we pray today that you will do just that, that you will draw us to yourselves, and that you will help us, Lord, to focus on the simple message of the gospel that you clearly teach us in these verses. Oh, God, let these simple verses rock our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well... Our passage today, unfortunately, begins with a grumble, with a grumble. That's not exactly what you want to start a worship service out with, but that grumble is, it leads us to the end of our passage, which, tell, which tells us, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So what I want you to do right now, I, it occurred to me this morning, I've been a pastor for many years, I, I know how... Much spiritual warfare takes place on Sunday mornings in general. If you have a family, this is the day the kids do not cooperate. Um, if you're a little bit older and married, it's, that's when your wife doesn't cooperate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, you know, there's just whatever the spiritual warfare area is, it's just uh, on red alert on Sunday morning. So here's what I would like you to do. I don't know, just thinking about this grumbling. These are the people of God, and they're grumbling, all right? And so what I would say to you is, realize this. I don't have much 
uh, to share with you today other than the simple gospel truth. But I'll tell you, the simple truth is you won't hear the simple gospel as long as your mind is distracted. The Lord wanted me, I believe, to say to you this morning before we even launch into this, calm your heart. Whatever happened in the last couple hours is quite frankly irrelevant compared to what God wants to share with you in the next 30 minutes. Calm your heart. Grumbling, we often think of that as something that we do when we're speaking to others. But I think the biggest grumbling takes place in your heart, where your heart is not calm, where you're not listening. Listen, God has something to share with you today, but you're not going to hear it if you're grumbling. You can't grumble and praise God at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. You're not going to hear. You can't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit over grumbling. A grumble can keep you from experiencing the best Jesus has for your life. And so just right now, I just want you to take a deep breath. Do this with me. Let it go, all right? And let go of whatever chaos you brought with you in this room today, okay? Now let's take a look at this passage. I believe this passage helps us see some amazing things about the incarnation and death of Jesus. This passage covers both of those amazing truths, not only the Easter truth of the incarnation, uh, but all, or the, the Christmas truth of the incarnation, but also the, the resurrection truth that we, we talk about at Easter. Got to get those right, okay? And as we look at this passage, it's so beautiful and blessed. And one of the great things about this passage is it reminds us about the bread of life. That makes this a perfect Thanksgiving passage because we're talking about something that we eat. And some of you are going to eat a whole lot of things this week, all right? But what we see here is, is that there's something better here than just food. We'll see that dynamic in this passage, this back and forth between how God provides for us in a physical sense. But Jesus came to do more than just provide physical needs he came because we are spiritually deficient. We need something in our hearts. And ultimately what we need is our hearts saved from sin. To be saved from your sin, you must have Jesus as your Savior. It is as simple as that. Verse 44 made that plain. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what we need. We need God to begin to pull our heart in his direction. We will not be pulled in his direction if we are grumbling. And why were they grumbling? Well, one of the reasons why they were grumbling is because they were familiar with Jesus. Did you notice in the passage that it wasn't that they were hearing a strange voice from out of town? You know, kind of like, well, who is this guy who's come in and is talking to us? What does he know? Where is he from? No, the issue here is they knew exactly who he was, and they knew exactly where he was from. And yet, because he was making some very, very big claims, they were grumbling. Now, I want to just pause parenthetically for a moment and help you to realize that we as the people of God today, many of us who were raised in church, we are the most familiar. Jesus should be a familiar topic. We've learned all of the stories about Jesus. We have sung songs about Jesus. We've heard sermons about Jesus. But it seems like sometimes that familiarity is what causes us to grumble. We tend to forget all the good things that God has done for us and all the good things about Jesus, and we grumble. We come to church and we do not have clear minds and clear hearts. We have other things that distract us. I'm here to tell you, the grumbling here is not because they didn't know Jesus. They, they grumbled because they knew him. 
They thought that they understood the word. They thought that they had everything figured out, and they didn't. These words remind us that Jesus comes to shake us up. It is an amazing truth. The nature of Jesus' uh, claims and the faith that he requires, this is big, this is huge. He is showing us that the only way that we can know our creator is through him. And that the father will draw us to himself. Second Peter 3.9, let me just read this to you. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. Now, I wanted to read that to you because when we read this passage about how only the Father draws, some people will take that as a very exclusive kind of passage, that only those who are really special are drawn. But when we look at the larger picture of Scripture, God is calling out in love to everyone. There is no one in this room that is excluded from the promises of God. If you will believe by faith, God is drawing us to himself, and it is the power that is in Jesus' name that makes all the difference. I believe God is calling you to cry out and say that Jesus is Lord. And to do that, this passage, I think, will show you the path to take. Let's begin by one of the most basic ideas in the Christian faith, and that is the belief in the resurrection. This passage is pointing us to the resurrection. Jesus, there's no one like him. And when we read what he had to say, what he preached to the people in those days, he was very much self-aware of his unique place in the world. The Bible tells us that he was one of a kind, the only begotten, and he truly was. He understood this. And if you look at verse 41, he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. See that in the text? That is a statement that is going to get you in a lot of trouble with a Hebrew audience. He is saying, I am the bread. He is putting himself almost in that same category of manna from heaven. That's the image that he's trying to build on. Now remember, this, has, this, this teaching follows a big Thanksgiving feast. They have had the feeding of the 5,000. So everybody has their bellies full of bread and they're thinking about bread and then Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This is an eye-opening kind of statement. The people are being challenged to think in terms that are eternal and not just temporal. But notice, they don't really get it. Verse 34, they say, sir, give us this bread always. I think they were still looking for some food to eat. And that we can be critical about that, but... How many of us in this room have gone hungry for days on end or maybe a week or more? Very few of us have, but I would imagine that those who were fed, the 5,000 who were fed on that day, knew hunger very well. They were from a very poor part of the world where one bad harvest could lead to starvation for entire villages. The thought of having bread every day, though you have that in abundance, they did not. So we don't want to be too critical here, but it does show this balance as Jesus is coming into the world, this balance between the Christian message being one of the soul, and yet Jesus does not forsake the needs of the body. This is why, as a church, we do believe that we have to walk this line as well. We say that we treasure the souls of all people. That's one of our treasure principles. But we also treasure the vulnerable. We treasure those who are hungry and hurting and needful. This passage reminds us that a healthy church 
is doing both of those things. But at the end of the day, we cannot lose our focus on the primary message of the gospel. Though the church can go and make a big difference in the world in terms of alleviating hunger and brokenness, that's one of the great joys we have. We must never forget that our primary calling is to win souls for Jesus. Our number one purpose, if we will keep that one thing first and foremost, the reaching of souls, then God will allow us to care for hurting human beings. The bread of life Jesus offers provides life for all who consume it. But I want you to realize this is a life beyond any idea or concept of life we now possess. Let me show you in verse 44 what I'm talking about. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But here's the key little sentence. And I will raise him up on the last day. Raise him up. He also says this in chapter 6, verse 54. The living bread came down that we might rise up. Now, if you are here today and you've been in a few Christian worship services, you've heard about the resurrection of Jesus. You've heard about Jesus rising up from the dead. That's not an unusual concept for you. But what you need to realize is, is in the Greco-Roman world, this was an outlandish idea. Nobody wanted a body to come back to life. In the Greco-Roman world, they wanted the immortality of the soul. They believed in a soul like we do, but they would have never thought to say that this body would be reanimated. But Jesus is talking about reanimation. He is talking about the fact. Now listen to me. This is where Christianity is far more radical than you realize Jesus is promising us that we will share in the resurrection, which means the body you have now that is broken, that is bruised, that will suffer and struggle in this world. So many times you're like, why do I have to feel this pain? So why would I want another body? Listen, Jesus came to defeat death and hell. When he does that, and when it's all said and done, you will have a body free from all those things that are negative. That's the Christian promise. We're not talking about that God's going to give you some wonderful experience for your soul. He is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies to share that in. That's radical teaching. That's why so many people struggled with what Jesus had to say. But he's not talking about just another physical existence ending in death. But he says in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. He is connecting resurrection life with eternal life. Now, why am I saying this? Because if we are going to share our faith, let me tell you, we are sharing our faith in a world that, of course, has all of these ideas that are different than the Christian teachings. Absolutely. But what we have to do is, anybody out there that thinks that their teaching is radical, they haven't got anything on us. Because what we're saying is, is that we have the ultimate and final answer to the question of death. We have the one and only path out of this world of pain and suffering, and we have it through Jesus, our Lord. Why are we so enamored with sharing the gospel? Why do we keep telling you to share your faith? Because it is the only message in the world that is telling a lost world, struggling with pain and death, that there is an answer. Every other philosophy says, well, maybe this and maybe that. 
Maybe the good life is this, and maybe the good life is that. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is our life. And if we will soak that up and say that's a great deal, then why would we want to keep that to ourselves? We believe in the resurrection and we must share that message with a lost and dying world. God is calling us to do that. But another element of this is, do we have an ear for the Father's voice? And I would also add, do we also have eyes to see him? Some people have an ear for music. Uh, that's not necessarily me. I, I joke around, you know, I, I, I'm not very technical with music. I say there's only two kinds of music in the world, the kind I like and the kind I don't. So not all of us have an uh, a ear for music. This is true. But I want you to know this. Our Heavenly Father is always singing. And I just want to ask you this morning how many of you are being carried along by his song. We all are listening to the music. We're all listening to a song. The question is, whose song are we singing? Are we singing the songs of the world that tell us of the way things ought to be according to their perspective? Are we singing the songs of the flesh which gratify our desires? Or are we singing the songs of God that point to sacrifice and to giving, and to loving, and to sharing. That is the song that we must listen to. If you look in John 6, 45, you see that Jesus read his Bible. Isn't that a good thing? Jesus read his Bible. Why don't you? Okay? So Isaiah 54, 13 is what he quotes here in this passage. And the prophet spoke of a day when they will all be taught by God, when the people would all be taught by God. But how can mortal man hear God's voice and live? How can our ears pick up the sound of the eternal one? Do we have such a range? Do we have such a capacity? Well, no, we didn't until Jesus came. And Jesus shows us how to have an ear for the Father's voice. And the funny thing is, he mixes his metaphor. When I wrote this, verses 45 and 46, as I was meditating on it, I kept talking about the ear, but if you'll notice, it talks about the eyes. But it talks about the ears and the eyes. So uh, we call that a mixed metaphor, and we try not to do that. But Jesus did it, so I'm, it's okay, all right? So he mixes the metaphor. He mixes the metaphor of hearing and seeing in those two verses. And so if you think about it, he uses two of the most common uh, sensory perceptions, the ways that we really interpret the world. And he mixes the two together, and he says, look, if you're trying to find God, you need to have an ear to hear. Yes, you need to have the eyes to see. But how does that work? Jesus says, I am that answer. We must have Jesus to hear the Father's voice. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. John 6, 46. That's a key verse. Jesus is telling us in those verses that we are taught by God when we listen to the one who is sent from God. Jesus is the Word become flesh. And that's going to be our Christmas focus is John 1, 1 through 14 roughly, a little bit beyond that. But we're going to look at that passage. But if you can remember the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. You see, that is the message that Jesus is our bridge to spiritual things. If a person says, I really want to know God. I really want to see him and hear him. That's when we take our friends to passages like this. Because Jesus is saying, for those who want to see God and hear God, he is the answer. 
only through him, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Verse 45, notice that. If we will come to Jesus, then we can know the Father. As we look at this passage, we see that the Father draws into himself people through the words of Jesus, because there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved, Acts 4.12. To see Jesus is to see the Father in action. If ever we were to ask the question, how, how should I live? How should I behave? How should I act in this world? We go to the Gospels and we see Jesus' life. And then we try to emulate, we try to copy in every way, in every fashion, what Jesus did, because he is the answer. We believe that everything was granted unto him from the Father. He is the one. Now again, we said, how do you hear God or how do you see him? Well, there are certain things, certain sounds that we can't hear with our ears without the aid of computers and things of that nature. Same thing with our vision. Sometimes our vision is, is clouded or we need to put a lens on that helps us see something that otherwise we cannot see. Jesus is is the one who helps us to hear what otherwise we could not hear and to see what we otherwise could not see. He is like a translator. How many of you have been in a foreign country? And, and maybe you know the language, a little bit of the language, but even as you're speaking it, you don't understand the words exactly and you mess up. I've seen that many times where a person uses a word that seems right and everybody else is laughing. It's not a fun feeling. But with Jesus, we have that translator. We have that one who can help us connect with God the Father. We don't have to worry that there's going to be a miscommunication. No, not at all. Because he gives us what we need. Friends, I want to just say to you, our faith here cannot just be, uh, we can't have a glancing uh, blow here with Jesus. It can't just be a mild interaction with him. If we want to know God, it can only be through Jesus. John 6 makes that plain. But John 6 also makes it plain that we must have a hunger for the bread of life. One of the things I've noticed in the last few years is that research and uh, scholarship is showing that churches are not all that bad. That's a good thing. Um, scholarship is showing that churches provide good community. They can, they can be a healthy part of any community. These are secular papers just looking at what the church does when they are in a community. So people aren't necessarily against religion. People, when they see some value in the church, may not be against it, even if they're not really for it. But I want to just challenge you. If you're that type of person, that Christianity is something that you tolerate, Maybe you are here because you love someone. Maybe you're here because of a Thanksgiving holiday and, and they drug you to church. So you're just here. Well, let me just challenge you in this way. I understand that, that our culture today just says, hey, listen, if, if Christianity works here in Springfield for a group of people, just let them be. Just let them do their thing. They're harmless. Let them gather on Sundays. Uh, while you go play golf, they're going to be in church. Just, just let them be. They're mostly harmless. But I want to tell you, um, I think the church, I don't want the church to be harmless in that sense. I don't want them to do any hurt uh, necessarily. But I, I do believe that we need to shake things up a little bit because it's kind of like this. Even though Christianity is something that many people are going to say, yeah, that's not for me, that doesn't make it so. I believe that Christianity is for everyone. I believe this is, this is God's answer to our biggest questions. And to ignore that, it's to walk away from that, is to walk away from the very gift of God. 
It's kind of like this. I think some people today just view Christianity like a trip down the bread aisle. Now, when I do go to Walmart, I'm not happy about it, but there are some fascinating things to see. One of, well, there's a lot of fascinating things to see. But let's keep it real here, and let's just talk about the bread aisle for a minute, because this won't get me in much trouble, except for maybe with my wife. But anyway, the bread aisle is an amazing thing, because you would think, husbands, right, when your wife says, go down the bread aisle and get some bread, it should be easy. But when you go down the bread aisle, and there are 5,000 options... And for some reason, even though I have a mind for scholarship, I can't remember the right kind of bread to buy. So all of a sudden, I'm standing in the bread aisle having an existential moment. I'm trying to figure out which bread is our bread. And I've only really got two options, to pick the wrong one, which one out of a thousand, you know, I'm not much of a gambler, but the odds are against me, or text my wife and admit that I am clueless. I'll go with number one. So nonetheless, I think our culture kind of views Christianity like a trip down the bread aisle, that it really doesn't matter as long as you pick some sort of bread, something that feeds your heart and feeds your soul. That's one of the messages of the culture today. Now, I'm glad that our culture has built in some tolerance for other thinkers and other thinking and other religions. That's what makes America so strong. But just because that idea that all bread is equal by one person's point of view or a government's point of view doesn't again make it true. What we see is that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is the bread. There are no other choices here for us to make. He is not one choice among many. He is the only choice that leads to eternal life. Verse 47, truly, truly, and every time you see that, pay attention, brothers and sisters. He says, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Eternal life only comes through Jesus. So if you aren't hungry for Jesus, your soul will never be full. God is telling us here that we must have Jesus. Now remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to very faithful followers of Judaism. And they were the ones who were given the oracles of God. They were given the law of God, all blessings from God. But if you'll notice what Jesus says in this passage, he says something that, well, basically says, you went to the bread aisle and you got the wrong bread. What he's telling the Jews of his day is this. You went down the aisle and God wants to give you the law, yes, but it leads you to grace. When you realize you cannot keep every point of the law, that means you need something more. Jesus says, I am the something more. But they were holding on to the bread, the manna that came from above, in their mind, your fathers, verse 49, ate the manna in the wilderness and died. I remember several years ago, it's been a long time ago, when we first moved to Texas, it was 1997, and this is so far back, I didn't even know what a jack-in-the-box was. You ever heard of that, that train? Okay, I had never seen one before. They didn't have those in Kentucky, all right, in southern Illinois. But when we first moved there, some people died because of contamination in the food. Now, I had never been to a jack-in-the-box. I didn't have any pro or con for jack-in-the-box, but when people died at jack-in-the-box, I didn't go to jack-in-the-box. That seems logical. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. 
you guys know that Moses' law is good, but if that's all you're eating, you die. I tried to get the video, but my tech team told me that we couldn't have it because, I don't know, it broke the law or something. But there's this, I, listen, when I am in my more candid moments, I love watching uh, videos of dogs and cats online. And when I'm really in a good mood, pandas, aren't they amazing? Just beautiful creatures. But I saw this little video one time, and somebody was really cute. They, they uh, were trying to teach their dog uh, literally a new trick. And so they had the food in the pan, and the dog had already got a mouthful of food. And then they took this little stuffed toy, and they brought it over, and it showed the little toy acting like it was getting some food. And then, and then they made the little toy die. And every single time, because the dog's pretty smart, the dog does this. Blah. Spits out. It's just the cutest thing, just one instance of that after another, of dogs being, well, smarter than us. Have you ever been eating something, and you're like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this, there's something wrong with this. Why are you still eating it? I mean, the dog knows to let it go, and you don't. Now, I'm trying to make light of a very serious situation here and a thought that's deep, okay? So follow me. Jesus is asking the honest question, why do you keep eating manna from above, though it was a good thing. You're holding on to the past, but God, that was part of the story. You've made it the focus of the story. Jesus is saying, I am the focus of the story. He says, I am the bread of life. And he goes as far in verses 50 and 51 to say this, this, he's saying Jesus himself is the bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is saying, if you want to live forever, you have to believe in me. You have to believe that I have come. I am God in the flesh. And my sacrifice that is coming for you is unto eternal life. There aren't other choices. Even Moses, with all the wonderful things that he provided, Moses, if that's all we keep, if all we try to do is keep the law, we die. That's a message for us today. If we think if we are just good people, we will be okay. Today, there are many people who aren't necessarily thinking in terms of the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, but they would say something like this. I don't believe in Christianity, but I believe if I'm a good person, God will honor that. The problem is that bread will kill you too. The only bread that leads to life is Jesus. Now, you may be here today and you say, well, Pastor, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Your worldview is Christian, and I know you're going to say these things, right? But, you know, I still want to keep all my options open. Well, I understand that. But just realize, if you are going to take Jesus at his words, he's not giving you other options. He is saying he is life. And all other ways are death. I know in our culture today that is not a popular thing to say, but that's what God's word says and that's where we stand. Why would we share our faith if we believe that every faith was equal, that every faith led you to God? We don't believe that. We believe there are so many falsehoods. In fact, there are so many things out there where it sounds so good and looks so good, but it doesn't lead to heaven. Jesus is the way. If you have no desire to know Jesus, then friend, let me just say this. Ask yourself, if God would send his son, and if I continue to reject that son, what does that say about me? Dig deep into the scriptures and see that Jesus is the way. I was rereading some words that I had written down in some of my work from years ago. 
a German scholar wrote this. He says, um, his name is uh, Helmut, which is a cool name, really. Uh, Tillike is his last name. He said this, God does not love us because we are so worthy. On the contrary, we are worthy because God loves us. Man, that jumped off the page. That was in a footnote of my work from years ago, but that jumped off the page at me this morning and reminded me that really this isn't about you figuring it out. This is about God reaching down to you. This is about God revealing that Jesus is the way. And I want to say to you, if you are the type of person that has been living on the edges of your Christian faith, maybe this is something that you had from long ago, something that's been there but not at the center of your life, I just want to challenge you. Jesus' words here today do not allow us to call ourselves Christ followers and put Christ on the periphery of our lives. He is the bread of life. That means bread is the basics, man. That's just carbs. That's just keeping you alive. If you want life, it must be in Jesus. I think someone in this room is hungry for more. I think some of you in this room, your souls are starving. If you will tune your ear to Jesus' voice and look to his cross, you can receive resurrection life. This is how the Father draws us. This is the way of salvation. And there is no other way. I hope you believe that this morning. But if you don't, there is hope. Receive Jesus. And church, if you believe these words, if John 6 to you, if you say, yes, pastor, I believe John 6 is truth, then I hope we've given you a little more ammunition to share your faith, why it is important, why it is important, not for us generally, but you specifically to share your faith. Because this is the truth. This is the bread of life. This is the hope of resurrection. That is your faith. Will you share it? And if you do, you will be amazed at how the Father will begin to draw people unto himself. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.